0: Welcome to the Binge Essentials Podcast. I'm your host, David Rocha. Joining me as always, fresh from the ocean, is Romeo Mora. Romeo, how's the ocean?
1: Take it for me. Up there on the shore, they all work all day. On the sun, they twirl away. But down here, full-time floating under the sea, I mean, it's good. This is better.
0: So the reason I sent Romeo to the ocean is because we're going to be talking about The Little Mermaid films. <laughs> the Little Mermaid is a 1989 American animated musical fantasy film produced by Walt Disney featured animation loosely based on the 1837 Danish fairy tale of the same name by Hans Christian Anderson the Little mermaid tells the story of a teenage mermaid princess named Ariel who dreams of becoming human and falls in love with a human prince named Eric which leads her to make a magic deal with the sea witch Ursula to become human and be with him a direct video sequel called the little mermaid 2 back to the sea was released in 2000 focusing on Ariel's daughter Melody and a prequel called the Little mermaid Ariel's beginning follows In 2008, the film features the voice talents of Jodie Benson, Christopher Daniel Barnes, Pat Carroll, Kenneth Mars, Samuel E. Wright, Buddy Hackett, Ferris Strong, and Sally Field. Joining us to talk about The Little Mermaid, it's Caitlin Rocha. Caitlin, welcome back.
2: Thanks for having me back.
0: We brought you on because you are known to be a big Little Mermaid fan. So go ahead and talk about why you're such a big Little Mermaid fan. What was your experience with, let's say, the first film?
2: Well, I started watching The Little Mermaid in the early 90s, like most kids our age. I just loved it. I fell in love with the film. I loved the undersea setting. I, I felt like I could relate to Ariel in a way because she just wants to, she's interested in something. And
0: so you saw this for the first time. So you remember where you were? Were you at home with your parents or, you know, for your family? Did you guys like all sit around and watch the movie? Did you like buy the VHS tape or rent it from the video store? Do you remember any of that stuff?
2: Um, my dad bought the VHS tape for us and he just put it in while me and my brother were watching. And, you know, we had other ones like Cinder. Cinderella and Lion King, but Little Mermaid was the one that I always replayed over and over again.
0: Did you guys ever have that experience where legend has it, you know, when you love a movie so much, you watch it so many times that you wear out the VHS tape? Because that never happened to me. That ever happened to either of you guys?
1: Yes, it was the Lion King because my sister was
0: obsessed. But uh, Caitlin, with your Little Mermaid VHS, that one held up fine.
1: Yeah, I still
2: have it. The cover is all wrinkled and messed up, but I Mm. still have it and it's the original cover with the question Art on the front
0: which i did some research and of course there's an urban legend saying that it was done on purpose because they were underpaid but apparently the artists did it on accident is because of the short deadline and it was just rushed work and they just really said like nobody just noticed it it was just a complete accident that's the official news about Something like that. I don't know. What do you guys think? Do you think it was on purpose?
1: I think it was honestly deadlines. I think the
2: artist kind of decided to do something a little cheeky and put that in there. <laughs> <laughs> just because he probably knew it wasn't going to get scanned over twice and he just rush it out. So <laughs> I think it was on purpose.
0: To me, it seems hard to do something like that on accident. It's too distinct because that's not what it looks like in the film. So, yeah, the first film is out. And it's a big hit. And rewatching it again recently, I know Caitlin, you've watched it many, many times. Not only as a child, but well into your adulthood, you still watched it a whole bunch of times. For me, watching it again recently for the first time in, in many years, I shouldn't say I was surprised by this, but I forgot how stunningly animated it really is. You, like you really look at it and think about it, like the way they have some of the like the shadowing and some of how the water movement. There's this really great thing when she's singing, when Ariel's singing "Part of Your World" in her, her little grotto. The sunlight comes. And through on the wave of the waters and, and everything. It's like, this it looks so beautiful, you know, and I forgot how great it all really looks. It, it really stands out and you can see why it was such a hit and such a fun characters and story to follow. But people don't seem to talk about as much because they talk about the songs, they talk about the mm-hmm. look of the characters and all those, all those great things. But uh, in terms of the animation itself, it's so beautifully animated, especially for 1989. And especially when you consider what Disney was doing before this, this was definitely like a tier above of of what they were actually trying to do with their films.
2: That's something that really got me interested in the films. It was just so fun to watch. I was used to watching Cinderella before I got the Little Mermaid, and the Little Mermaid's just so much more colorful and fluid, and mm-hmm. the songs are just much more catchy. and it, It's just an overall entertaining film to watch. So I would just watch it over and over again, and even as an adult, it would be like my comfort movie, and I'd watch it almost every weekend. It's just a beautiful film and as an artist I find it inspiring as well.
0: It's so much more upbeat than their previous 80s films when you think about it. Like The Great Mouse Detective has some pretty freaky moments. The Rescuers is fun but there's like some scary moments in that movie as well. The Fox and the Hound need I say more of how that movie is kind of a depressing drag? So this was their attempt to like do something fun with fun characters and take some real chances with their animation.
1: We should note that it is the last film they did almost everything by hand. It was all done like using actual cells where they would layer on top of each other and then they would photograph it and that's how you got that movement. Right. So everything was painstakingly done by hand and I think that's how you were going back to how they captured like the sun uh, filtering through the water and how they created this unique look. Because I think right after they went through, they started more and more using a digitalized method, which mm. It made it easier for getting these films out quicker than in the past. And I'm not suggesting that they compromise the artistry because everything after is just as beautifully done. But I think there was something unique about The Little Mermaid where we got to see something special and did help create that other world. I sort of liking it the first time I saw Alice in Wonderland. Also done with that S.L. system, they were able to create these otherworldly things things where I think which help sort of pull you into for lack of a better words into Ariel's world under the sea and created for these stunning like sunset visuals that I don't think I've ever seen since that were as breathtaking. I kind of wish that they did still use the cell method of painstakingly because i found more details in this film also fun fact i didn't know that ariel was sort of based on Alyssa milano he was america's sweetheart of the time
0: yeah yeah i thought that was interesting too and it's funny because uh she hosted a making of yep, the Little I, i've never seen it a more on the nose inspiration is with ursula how it's clearly inspired by the drag Queen actor, Mm -hmm. Divine. So let's get into some of these characters in the film. So we are introduced with Ariel, this 16-year-old redhead who is enamored by the above world. Uh, Likes to collect things from the human world. Likes to take things to scuttle because scuttle is supposed to be knowledgeable in human items. As we learn with the fork and he calls it a dingle hopper, and that it's used for combing your hair. (laughs) Kind of really like Ariel in the way that she just has this like passion and desire for something that she has no idea about. Like she wants to go out and explore and learn and, and is interested in people. And you don't want to say she's like naive or anything like that, but she's likable in that way where she just wants to explore and learn and everything You know, one thing though I actually forgot when you start the movie is that we don't immediately meet Ariel. We actually meet the Seaman and Prince Eric.
1: I forgot they had songs, to be honest, until recently, because they did the live action for the anniversary, which is probably featured in the Broadway musical, which they incorporated for the special. But they weren't as memorable. Like, let's be honest here. To someone who watched it probably over 500 times
2: <laughs> I remember that song quite well
0: <laughs> and even though it's not one of the more memorable ones Fathoms Below it's a really good song I really liked it and I did watch the Little Mermaid live special we'll talk about that in a little bit and they opened with that and that was probably one of the better sets that they had on that entire show it was just a lot of fun because yeah you're getting all of these semen and doing the jobs and everything it's, it's just like this really great introduction into the film leading into and then we get to meet Ariel so I thought that was a lot of fun. It was really cool stuff. Other things to note about Ariel is like she's just like any other teenage girl. You know, she has conflicts with her father. She's the youngest of many sisters and she's forgetful or like because she's just so caught up in doing her own thing. You can't keep her down. You know, she's just one of those kids who just like they're just going to do their own thing. You just got to hope that you don't get hurt or in trouble. (laughs) So when she sees Prince Eric for the first time I think this is where like some level of controversy comes in into the film because Ariel sees him for the first time falls in love and then she saves him later and this is what I pointed out to Caitlin is when she saves him later and then Eric he hears her voice and he pretty much gets a like a blurry glimpse of her but he's like instantly in love as well people get this like misunderstanding that Ariel's giving up her voice to be with a man and yeah I can see there can be some level of controversy surrounding that but It's not Mm -hmm. like Eric was um, taking advantage of that or anything like that. Like he's just a genuinely good guy who also happened to fall in love at the same time, you know? It's like love at first sight between the two of them without realizing.
2: I get really annoyed when people say that Ariel's the worst princess because she gives up everything for a man when like they literally spend an entire song showing how she's enamored with the human
1: world. And Mm -hmm. it's just like, have you not been paying attention all this time? I think anyone who makes that argument needs to watch the uh, scene in wreck Ralph 2, where all the Disney princes have their own baggage. <laughs> Evil stepmothers, <laughs> dead mothers being locked up by a male prisoner. Like, I will say this, because i falling in the knees around A Little Mermaid. There is some controversy that they are changing the lyrics to Poor Unfortunate Souls, about giving up Ariel's voice, how men don't like girls who talk or have opinions or personalities. I don't know how I feel about you guys, whether or not it needs to be updated, I just see it as, it just emphasizes how evil (laughs) Ursula really is. It would make sense for Ursula to say those things, because Ariel doesn't know what the human world is like. And it's just Ursula saying, yeah, this is actually, you giving up your voice, actually is gonna help you in the long run.
0: Yeah, it's the power of manipulation. Like, I don't really see that as a a negative towards Ariel's character, since she's being manipulated by a sea witch. It's totally not her fault in that situation. And and Caitlin, like you're right. Like There's all this buildup as to why Ariel will make the decision to give up her voice. She's not necessarily giving it up for Eric specifically. She's giving it up because she wants to walk. She wants to be part of their world. This has been made very, very clear. (laughs) It's kind of crazy for people to assume otherwise. If she never saw Eric on that boat, she still would have made that same decision.
1: Before we go on, for me, part of the big draw for Ariel Mm -hmm. is her signature song, Part of Your World, which I didn't realize that it was sort of highly influenced by Over the Rainbow from The Wizard of Oz. And I I find that so fascinating because Wizard of Oz is probably one of my favorite childhood films. Out of all of the Disney princesses, Errol has one of the best songs. Then again, the whole soundtrack is probably the best of almost all of the Disney princesses. Um, Just because you have Aaron Menken and the late Howard Ashman, who uh, actually passed away. This was the last film he wrote music and lyrics for. Part of your world, I think, is, again, like Over the Rainbow. There's this listfulness of wanting more and I just want to explore the world that I think any teenager feels like it captured that angst without being angsty and still holds up it's one of the best songs that Disney has produced I think
2: it's one of the best songs I've ever heard I mean I walked down the aisle to the instrumental version of part of your world it means a lot to me I think almost everyone could relate to it in some way we've all wanted something that we can't quite get and it's just it captures that moment beautifully
0: it's capturing that like Perfect tone and like timing of the song, right? Just the way how she just pauses before she crescendos into "Part of Your World." At, at the end of the song, she's almost vibrating her vocals as well as some parts of the song. Like I want to be with the people, all. you know. It's just like there's all these levels and layers to mm-hmm. it that are really impressive that Jody Benson brought to the table. It's the type of voice for me personally, feeling what the character feels. And
1: I feel like there's like this big disconnect. There's like the Little Mermaid era where you include Lion King, Aladdin, Beauty and the uh, Beast. Beauty and the Beast. <laughs> I'm forgetting one more in there. Mulan, too.
0: maybe? Yeah, thank Mulan?
1: you, Mulan. There, They're about, almost that self-discovery, but there's more emotional to it where about wanting, longing, sacrifice, where modern day one, and rightfully so, it's about finding empowerment on your own, not to say the pieces of princes didn't have that. This music, Cool. Really is a renaissance because everything after this film, particularly this song, it has been not imitated, but highly influenced everything it came after.
0: And not only that, I mean, you get another amazing song with Ursula with Poor Unfortunate Souls. Caitlin, with Poor Unfortunate Souls, where does that go with other villain songs?
2: It's the top song, easily. Yeah. I think the only other one that even comes close is Scar from the Lion King. Oh,
0: be prepared. That's a good point. Yes. Be prepared. <laughs> (laughs) so good.
2: But I think Ursula just knocks it a little bit higher than Be Prepared.
0: Oh, and Pat Carroll is so good in this role, man. Like, and the crazy thing is she wasn't even, like, you already kind of mentioned it earlier, Romeo, she wasn't the first person to voice Ursula. In fact, it might have even taken some convincing to even get her the role, because I don't know, there's something about her voice that they didn't quite associate with Ursula, which is kind of crazy to me, because I can't imagine her sounding like anyone else. Like, her so perfect.
2: And her voice is so iconic. I was at the back of our house and David was watching interviews of the cast and I instantly recognized Ursula and I came walking out and I saw her and I was like, yep, that's Ursula. I knew it. She has that iconic voice that you cannot mistake for
1: anyone else. Poor, Unfortunate Souls is the standard. It's cheeky and fun. With all the other villain songs, they're not like hiding any agenda. They're just unabashedly like laying all their cards on the table but with poor unfortunate souls you have Pat Carroll as Ursula Connie not only air but also the audience too poor me people think I've I had my moments yeah sure I probably did but I mostly help people it's so beautifully Mm -hmm. written and a lot with this film too there's so many great crescendos which I can't wait to see how the live action reinterprets it Because Melissa McCarthy, there's a high bar. Not to get too much
2: into the live action at first. At first, I was really upset that they cast Melissa McCarthy because she has this shtick where she's like the goofy person always tripping over herself and being like a bumbling fool sometimes. And I was like, that is not Ursula. Ursula's a confident, sassy woman who knows what she wants. So I was like, I don't know about her being Ursula. She's not Ursula material. But then I saw the trailers and just for those few seconds, I was like, this is a range I haven't seen from her. I was like kind of impressed. She
1: used to perform as a drag queen and I think that's what won her over because I know there are a lot of people who are campaigning for the role of Ursula. I think it goes down to the interpretation because ultimately I'm glad that Lissa McCarthy like has performed as a drag queen under the moniker of Miss Y but Ursula's one of the best villains. All she wants is just a little bit of power.
0: We'll get into a villain that only wants a little bit of power. Ursula wants the whole she wants all the power (laughs) she
1: She wants all the seven C's.
0: Exactly. She
1: just wants to help everyone, David and Caitlin. Did you not listen to her song? (laughs)
2: <laughs> and then I saw her garden from like once or twice and she the has
0: garden. a full
1: garden of
0: the, soul. I don't know how you see that garden and still think you should cut a deal with this one.
1: <laughs> oh, no, okay. I I forgot how creepy that was.
0: Super creepy, right? Especially
2: when they like they start panning out and you hear the moans and the screams yeah. <laughs> of the little monsters and it fades to black and you're just kind of like, ugh.
1: And I'm trying to think of like that opening, like of that scene. Have we had anything as scary as traumatizing and the Renaissance era. The only thing I can think of is Mufasa's death.
0: It was pretty scary. It was pretty intense. and It was just yeah, traumatizing. Was
1: the first time the thought of my parents were going to die one day. <laughs> That's how I <laughs> visualize that. Well,
0: being, being stampeded is also a scary thought too, right? Like being right. crushed to death by ongoing legs who don't even care that you're on there like screaming for your life. Another
2: um, traumatic scene in The Little Mermaid is when she's like when Ursula has Ariel in her power with the Triton and she's Mm -hmm. like in mid transformation into one of those creepy things and she's all gaunt and has her hands out. That's another creepy one that got me as a kid.
0: That is a good one. So I I think it's a good way to jump to these other characters by jumping off of the songs that they sing. Sebastian getting two song numbers voiced by Samuel E. Wright who was brought in to do like a Sammy Davis Jr. type of thing but instead they asked him to do more of a Jamaican (laughs) Sammy Davis Jr. I guess. Kiss the girl is obviously a really great song and under the sea is also is a classic it gets used all the time by Disney what I love about both of those scenes is all the moving parts in it which again where I go back to giving so much credit to how great this animation is all of these different fish playing all these different instruments and all Mm -hmm. the bubbles going around and all the movements and they're both masterpieces in that way and they're two tonally different approaches to what's going on you know under the sea is supposed to be fun and it's supposed to be like this is what's great about living in the ocean rather than living out on land. And then with Kiss the Girl, you know, it's more of like a ballad. It's softer. It's trying to get you in the mood to stare at the person sitting across from you in the eyes and wanting to lean over and kiss them for the first time. They're both really beautiful songs and really just a lot of fun. But yeah, what really sells them the best for me is that all the animated moving parts around it, which makes it stand out as a film uh, in comparison to other things because it's not easy. And so when they do this live action version, and granted we see a Pieces of it in the trailer and it looks like kind of crazy and a lot of fun but I can see a lot of people seeing those scenes of being like this is too much CGI over stimulating I don't like it it looks fake I can see that happening
1: and I think it comes down to uh, the cinematography mm-hmm. for it being too busy on screen well right. i will say that there are some live
2: actions that it does feel like wow that was a lot of cgi and not always in the good ways so i could see what david was saying you know especially since this is taking place under the sea it's heavily heavily reliant on cgi and one thing i was wondering even before it became news that they were making a little mermaid remake people would ask me like do you want the little mermaid? Remade, remade, And I would think, oh, I don't know, because it must be really hard to do all of that CGI and animation. And it's one of those things like, I don't want them to hurt my baby. Like, this is my movie. <laughs> I could easily see where it could be too much CGI
1: and just too much, much. You know what I'm yeah,
0: saying? Yeah, it's too busy. Yeah.
1: But again, it's all about the cinematography and it's about limiting your shots and being clever on what you're focusing on.
0: Right, right. I
1: think most of it's going to be focused on Sebastian and Ariel's reactions, similar to what they did with Be Our Guest.
0: I was just about to bring that up. I was thinking, you know what? I didn't hate Be Our Guest in that live action. I thought that actually turned out. Pretty yeah. good, so right. I can see if it's tight and focused that it can work. I think those two songs are going to be the most trickiest out of the entire film. Fountains below very easy because that's all a bunch uh-huh. of semen. <laughs> I keep saying semen, Sailors? and I know it's the correct term, but I'm just enjoying saying semen multiple times. <laughs> the
1: there's, there should be a counter. How <laughs> many times has? How many David times did David the- say
0: semen? <laughs> and then you have part of your world, which is you know your aerial solo. But these, there's just so much else going on, and and so. Those, I think, will probably be the most challenging, and I'm really curious to see how they'll turn out. Another thing to I should note about this is that the death scene of Ursula being impaled by the ship, pretty brutal. It's kind of funny that we're doing this because, Caitlin, you're on us with Jaws, where in Jaws of Revenge, the shark died by being impaled by the front <laughs> of a ship. <laughs> so... <laughs>
2: Total Ursula style.
0: It's a pretty brutal scene for a kid's movie, I would say. I mean, a lot of these villains, they all die in like pretty intense ways. But I feel like this was one of the more like intense ones, more memorable ones for sure. How do you describe to a kid what happened to Ursula? She got impaled.
2: I remember seeing it as a child for the first time and oh. I was just kind of like jawed to the floor staring at the screen. <laughs> like, <laughs> did that just happen? Did my happy, funny, joyful, beautiful movie just do that? I was just kind of stunned for a few minutes not knowing how to
1: process that. I completely blocked that out until I rewatched it um, last night because I could have Like it was like she died because of the Trident for somehow. No, no. Eric really (laughs) rammed the the ship's bow (laughs) to Ursula. Damn. Through her. They show it on the other end.
2: I'm pretty (laughs) certain of that. It doesn't pay to do crime, kids.
0: Yeah. So this movie, it made $211 million at the box office on a $40 million budget. It was just a huge, huge, huge success. And it started one hell of a renaissance. And I didn't give enough credit to some of the other voice actors. Christopher Daniel Barnes, I think he's really good as Prince Eric. And it was kind of disappointing that we don't have him in The Little Mermaid 2 because they went with Rob Paulson in The Little Mermaid 2. I love Rob Paulson. I mean, a big Animaniacs guy, among some of the other things he's done in his career. But oh, my God, could you have found anyone better than him? Because that just doesn't fit at all. (laughs) The Little
2: just, Mermaid 2 has so many problems.
0: It certainly does. And before we get oh, into it, I also God. want to give one more shout out to uh, Kenneth Mars, who voiced King Triton. I thought he was great. He was um, powerful. Yeah, exactly. He's powerful. And the directors, John Musker and Ron Clements, who Disney royalty at this point because of all the amazing films that they did since The Little Mermaid. They did one that I personally really enjoy, The Great Mouse Detective. They also did Aladdin, Hercules, Treasure Planet, which a lot of people have a soft spot for, Princess and the Frog, and Moana, like they these guys are great. We still have two other films that we need to touch on. And I know there's probably not a whole lot to talk about with them, but they have to be mentioned. The Little Mermaid 2 Return to the Sea. Caitlin, tell us when you first watched this film.
2: It was the biggest letdown of my young life up to that point. It was something that I was so excited for. And uh-huh. I knew I shouldn't have because it was direct to DVD. So that should have told me everything I needed to know. I was like, wow, this animation sucks. And then not only the that I was like wow the voice acting is way off on everybody like they just don't sound like themselves and mm-hmm. then I heard Flounder's voice for the first time and hated it I hated everything about Flounder we'll you get don't into like that. adult
0: Flounder no I no. was okay with adult Flounder
2: and the psychics were annoying as hell the whole thing was just a big stain on my happiness
0: I didn't like it I didn't find Melody particularly interesting because I've seen this character like a hundred times before like I mentioned earlier with Rob Paulson as voicing Prince Eric I thought that was not good Morgana voiced by Pat Carroll, which is cool. You know, we got Pat Carroll back. And Morgana is not a horrible villain. It's just her goals are exactly the same as Ursula's. And I just found that, like, really uninspiring and lazy. They did get Buddy Hackett back to play Scuttle. And Scuttle was even worse in this film than he was in the first one. In the first one, he's funny. He's just kind of stupid and it's funny. In this film, they're like, hey, we're going to continuously remind you how stupid Scuttle is. And I'm just like, oh, my God, can we stop at that? This is not even funny. It wasn't funny the first time, and it's not funny the fifth time that you know what it it.
2: was they sucked the soul out of the movie yes Mm -hmm. like all the characters felt very one-dimensional they were trying so hard to be funny that it was the most annoying hour and 20 minutes or however long it was
0: this is one of those movies where they try to pass off the excuse of saying something like it's for kids that's not the point man all your slapstick all your like blame jokes to try to make kids laugh it's like you were a kid caitlin basically when this movie came out it was year Mm -hmm. 2000 so you were probably what like 12 years old 10 right 10 yeah so it's no excuse you didn't laugh you didn't appreciate it you didn't think it was funny it just goes to show you that just because it's for kids doesn't mean you could just slap something together and pass it off as the finished product even if it's directed to video and think you got something good enough to get by like no this movie sucked
1: and I think it was just them trying to capitalize on the formula Aladdin set because they had the first success was the Return of Javar and then a couple years later they had um, Aladdin the King of Thieves and they're like we can still make money off of these franchises.
0: I own both and, of those, by the way Return of Jafar and Aladdin the, the King of Thieves.
1: Then Be the Beast had two sequels. Pocahontas of all of them should not have gone into sequel because they completely romanticized oh more of our history. That
0: was so bad and so offensive. <laughs>
1: The Lion King movies, I think, weren't as bad.
0: Me and Caitlin will go to bat for The Lion King too. We enjoy that movie.
1: It actually has noteworthy
2: songs, like for a second series movie to have noteworthy songs that you actually remember.
0: And it has characters, new characters that you do like following, that you do care about. This movie is not that.
2: (laughs) No, it has characters you want to run away from.
1: Which is a shame because, like, yeah, because you can't go back to the sea and it follows all the tropes. Oh, we have to lie about our daughter's heritage to keep her safe from the sea witch. And then clearly Sebastian has not learned anything from his first two adventures. Mm-hmm. So I so you're talking about the prequel at this point because he should have told Ariel. And that was the thing, too. It's like there weren't many scenes with Ariel For it being a sequel, granted, they're focusing on Melody, who had the opposite journey of Ariel, which you thought would have been fun, but it was just kind of bland. Like, why would she swim all the way to the Arctic? Ursula Morgana because also voiced by Pat Carroll where I'm kind of like at least come up with a unique character design. I'm all for giving Pat Carroll jobs but I mean mm, you just call her Ursula reincarnated. Another thing unrelated sort of to what you said
2: was Morgana she says I'm gonna get your daughter blah 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 and they're like okay we gotta keep Melody out of the sea. King Triton's men couldn't find her in ten
1: years. So incompetent. See like he doesn't deserve the Triton He doesn't. (laughs) Ursula was right. It's a weird film that I wish I never saw, to be honest with you. I was happy just knowing that there was the TV show and then the original film.
0: Last but not least, we have The Little Mermaid Ariel's Beginning. This one came out in 2008. It was also direct-to-video and it's a prequel film. So this one is more about Ariel and her sisters who are under a strict routine by King Triton because King Triton, after the death of Ariel's mother, decided of that music was banned from Atlantica. But another thing to note about this is that you have a villain who is the governess named uh, Marina Del Rey voiced by Sally Field and she has her assistant Benjamin who is a manatee. You have a, a villain who's just like, look, I'm not trying to take over Atlantica. I just want more power and respect. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like her goals are a lot more reasonable than Ursula Morgana. and Morgana.
1: She's like the evil stepmother trope. She belonged in like the live action film of like the parent trap and I mean Sally Field what are we doing
0: the funny thing about this character is and Caitlin pointed this out how she's like singing about fashion and and like you see all her outfit changes and stuff like that and you're just kind of like none of this makes any sense <laughs> like, how would she know about any of this stuff but she's a fun villain man I actually really like this character I really like Sally Field in this performance oh, aside from sh- a couple weird moments in the film I thought this movie wasn't too bad Flounder I thought was really terrible
1: oh god yeah yes. he's inseparable
0: yeah, totally insufferable. Benjamin made me laugh. Just like this green man. Benjamin
1: did not belong in this film. It like He belonged on the TV show The Critic. That's what I was thinking <laughs> the entire time.
0: The Critic. Really that good.
1: voice actor went to the wrong audition that day. Who was his character for? Not for the kids. The
2: thing that got me was not that he didn't belong. It's that the whole time all I could fixate on was why did they make him green?
0: Yes. And I, I asked you, I'm like, what is he? you're like he's a manatee and I'm like oh he's green though like they could have made
2: him gray or light purple or but
0: green like lime
1: green (laughs) and I kind of feel like this era came about like where the elder millennials were having some influence because I swear the inclusion of jump the line or maybe Gen Xers they're like oh you know what I rediscovered recently freaking Beetlejuice you Uh, know it would be great jump the line in this film I'm like oh to think like they're big fans of harry belafonte but at the same time like you think they would use other songs from his catalog because Mm -hmm. i'm sorry jump the line will always be the end song for beetlejuice for me
0: i always associated with beetlejuice as well and i was fine when they used it the first time i was like whatever not an original song but whatever is it fits the scene that it's they're using it for when they used it again i was like wait What are we doing? Why are we repeating this again? Because they
1: spent all the money on it.
0: So what do we think about Ariel's mother seeing her for the first time and that she has red hair and she looks like Ariel? I wasn't really a fan of that.
2: I thought it was a little strange just because they hinted that she was the mother of all of them yet she looks exactly like Ariel and it's like it would have been a little different if maybe they made her like I don't know I don't want to get into genealogy because these are like fictional characters (laughs) it it would have been maybe at least better if she was like a dark brunette or something Mm -hmm. just like the red hair and everything else it, it just made it a little too on the nose it makes the other characters
1: look like after It's like this weird mentality that they don't believe kids are smarter than they actually are. So they have to dumb things down. Yeah, So they can make connections. And I'm like, you can obviously see by the way this, how she interacts with King Triton. That's his wife and obviously the mother of all of his children.
0: I would also say that another noteworthy thing about this film is that how much time we got to spend with all the sisters. And they had personalities and they were kind of fun to be around and, and funny. And it was nice to see them like break from the strict orders of their father and go out and have fun, go to the catfish club and dance and meet other fish and, and all that. Like they added to the story a little bit. They were a good time. I felt like there was so much more effort <laughs> going into this one mm-hmm. than in the previous one. I felt like it was trying to not become like more than what it was, which is just a direct DVD film, but at least be able to entertain you in a good way and not feel like it's just like a, a cash grab.
2: You could. Tell there was definitely more care put into the film, especially in the animation. You could see like the shading and the fluidity, and you can tell that they cared and they wanted to do some justice. The only thing that really killed my soul to be dramatic was. (laughs) how they treated flounder he is nothing like flounder supposed to be he's not a coward he's not scared he's just this pompous edgy wannabe character that just comes off totally cringe the whole time oh my god why'd they have to do that to my boy someone's view of like a edgy teenager someone who's out of touch like oh he should be this way it's like no just make him how he normally is
0: and to also sound dramatic yeah it's a betrayal to the character that was not the flounder we know but yeah, you know, it's just it exists and I'm not mad that it exists. That's what I could say about it. You know, this is a perfectly fine film. I'd be OK with watching it again in the future if I had to.
2: Yeah, I enjoy the film a lot besides Flounder and then the song that they kept repeating and the hip hop freeze frame they did. Besides all that, I really <laughs> enjoy the film. I have watched it multiple times. I have it on DVD. In fact, it's a good movie. It's enjoyable. It's one of the few prequels that I actually like.
0: So... Let's say, Caitlin, you don't want to commit to all the films. Would you always say like you're going to show The Little Mermaid first before anything else when it comes to The Little Mermaid?
2: I would definitely show them the first film. And if they liked it, then I would show them Ariel's beginning because I think you just have to start with the OG. It sets up the world for you and then everything else is just like the cherry on top. I
1: just show people the film if they want more. The animated series.
0: I think that you watch the first film and then you could show them Ariel's beginning. And then if they still want more and they're not satisfied, then I'd be like, yeah, just go ahead and watch the uh, television series. It's not long. And it's, of course, a kid's cartoon. It's not too different than the other kids cartoons that were out in the 90s. And it's fine. It's serviceable. So The Little Mermaid is a legitimate franchise. Like a lot of things came from it. There were plenty of video games. There was an original Little Mermaid video game in 91. There was one called Ariel, the Little Mermaid in 92. Don't know the difference between those two. Ariel Story Studio, Print Studio, Activity Center. (laughs) It's just... It was a pinball frenzy the little mermaid 2 pinball frenzy that is a game that exists and then of course the theme park attractions is where it's at right Me and caitlin have visited ariel's grotto caitlin took a shelfie with ariel nice
2: <laughs> yes and i had her sign our wedding guest book
0: oh that's right you did do that this was at walt disney world by the way it was for our honeymoon So there's the ride, which is the Little Mermaid Ariel's Undersea Adventure. I don't remember much about it, but I did watch a video of it to refresh my memory. So yeah, Caitlin, we did ride that ride in Magic Kingdom. They also have it at California Adventure. There is Voyage of the Little Mermaid. It's a live action show attraction at Hollywood Studios. It's basically an abridgment of the 1989 film. What was really cool about it is that you get a really great voice performance from the woman playing Ariel, but you also get to see a lot of cool puppeteering especially seeing like this 12 foot Ursula Puppet, (laughs) which is really great. That was actually a pretty cool thing. If anyone ever goes to Hollywood Studios, I strongly recommend checking out Voyage of the Little Mermaid. I thought that was a really great show. Do you remember that show, Caitlin?
2: Oh yes, I do. It was magical.
0: And Romeo has made reference to this earlier. There was the Little Mermaid Live, which is a musical television special created for ABC based on the 1989 film The Little Mermaid. Caitlin, have you seen the Little Mermaid Live special? No, I haven't. Okay, but Romeo, you have,
1: right? Yes.
0: I only watched a few of the music numbers. I didn't make time to watch the whole thing. And in case for people who don't realize who was even in this, you had Ali'i Cravalho as Ariel. And if that name's not familiar to you, she was the voice of Moana. You had Graham Phillips as Prince Eric, Queen Latifah as Ursula, Mm -hmm. Shaggy as Sebastian, John Stamos as Chef Louis. Apparently he reprises this role from a live concert event at Hollywood Bowl. So I I watched some of the music numbers and Queen Latifah really carried it. She was freaking awesome for Poor Unfortunate Souls. Yeah, she was great.
1: Everyone knows her as a rapper. But then I'm like, oh, go watch Chicago because she brings the house down as Mama Morton.
0: Yeah, she's amazing in Chicago. Shaggy as Sebastian was better than I expected, to be honest uh-huh. with you, but also really funny how he wasn't in a crab suit.
1: <laughs> He's like, nope.
0: And producers said that it didn't happen because it looked too ridiculous. <laughs> so they spared Shaggy, really, in that sense. But, you know, he, he was good and, and, and he's Jamaican. So Sebastian got to be a true Jamaican crab. <laughs> so John Stamos's segment as Chef Louis was actually really well done. He was really good, to be honest. So the thing about it is I don't know how the whole thing worked out. And it's good that you watched it, Romeo, because you can answer this for me. The set designs were great. Props, uh-huh. all that stuff. That all looked really, really great. Does the whole show hold up for you?
1: It was okay. I mean, they sort of followed the whole like Broadway formula because the Broadway show, I believe they had Ariel on roller skates and they had like a thing where her tail will move naturally as she moved her across the stage. Wow. I was hoping they could borrow some of the costumes from that stage production. But yeah, it was better than beating the beast and, and that costuming. <laughs>
0: Caitlin we watched that
1: because that was horrific like her as Belle loved it did I have a problem with Josh Groban's voice no I did not did I have a problem with that weird mechanical bull transformer get up yes I did it was just so weird it
2: was like a <laughs> half a lion lot. half dog and you could see its ribs and you could see him hiding in the ribs
1: it was just and so I felt like <laughs> he was in mid transformation for the upcoming Transformers uh, movie Movie, but it was okay because i think for the production they had two other songs Mm -hmm. on there if only chef louis had a had a song her voice was sung by by eric by eric
0: graham phillips yeah um
1: first happy ending it was also i think from the broadway the showstopper for the broadway a musical involves all the
0: cast yeah
1: which I'm not mad about. I think it added more to the characters. I don't think they'll appear in the live action film. I think they have original songs written by um, Alan Menken and Lynn manuel Miranda. But yeah, it was OK. It's enjoyable. It wasn't the most offensive thing I've seen.
0: One more thing I want to mention, which I think is worth watching if you want to go on YouTube and watch it. It's the making of the Little Mermaid, which was the television special hosted by Alyssa Milano on the making of the film. It aired on the Disney Channel in 1989. It's a little under a half hour long and you do learn a lot of cool things about the making of the film and you get to see some of the actors 30 years ago in age, you know, which is also kind of fun to see how young everyone looks, especially the guy who voiced Eric so now we're going to move on to the question Caitlin I know you're super excited about the upcoming film the thing about these types of films is like I'm not like busting through the door and wanting every classic film to be made into a live action film Pinocchio and Dumbo dropped and I never showed any interest in wanting to see those films so Caitlin if you like this film this is how I want to phrase this question if you like this film coming out do you want to see a sequel to that film
2: no I want them to do it one and done because I feel like with these sequels, if they're a hit, they're a hit. And if they are not a hit, they're really bad. And I don't want them to try to make the movie into something it's not. I want them to put all of their love and all of their focus into one movie and just let it be. Just let it be something we can have and enjoy. Don't try to make extra money off of it.
0: Let's go ahead and make suggestions for similar shows or franchises that viewers might also enjoy. Caitlin, do you have any recommendations for people who enjoy The Little Mermaid?
2: I think all the Finding Nemo movies are pretty great. I think if you enjoy the animation of literally under the sea and under the water and that kind of whimsical vibe, I think you'll really enjoy Finding Nemo and how it brought life to the ocean through CGI. And it's a whole nother experience. I remember seeing Finding Nemo in theaters and I was just like, wow, this is literally Like being underwater, and it gave me that same feeling as when I first saw The Little Mermaid. I saw Finding Nemo in theaters probably eight times.
0: Wow. Recommendations? We have some. For me, I would say if you enjoyed The Little Mermaid, you enjoyed that type of story of magic and wonder and whatnot. Hey, Beauty and the Beast is good. I really like Tangled. I think Tangled is really great. I can see a lot of similarities between Rapunzel and Ariel. And I also think Frozen is a good time too. I also like. Princess and the Frog. So yeah, I know those are all Disney movies, but yeah, those are the, just the ones same along the lines type of situation.
2: I feel like Tangled and The Little Mermaid that Rapunzel and Ariel are very similar. I agree with that.
0: Romeo, you have one that I wish I thought of. Splash.
1: Yeah, Daryl Hannah. She's literally just like Ariel who ends up on land and gets to um, explore the world for a little bit.
0: That's the film that was on Disney Plus in like the very beginning of Disney Plus where the editor her hair to be longer to cover her butt when she was Definitely, like running yeah. to the water.
1: Also, a similar type tale, a uh, Wizard of Oz, girl who wants to be somewhere else and goes on an adventure and finds out who her friends are along the way. And then of course, do we dare uh, recommend The Lighthouse?
0: The Lighthouse. Oh my god, The Lighthouse. <laughs> It has a mermaid. Yes, I will recommend the lighthouse.
1: Because <laughs> why not? And oh since we're God. getting here, let's go with this sh- the ship of water. Okay, you're unhinged. <laughs> this has gone
0: too far. We've
1: That's gone re- too far? Too far? No, Luca?
0: Totally worth recommending
1: for once my culture is celebrated distant strong father figure I mean Luca is probably the closest thing at like, of what modern Disney that's done that's similar to The Little Mermaid
0: and you know what Caitlin you may say Romeo's unhinged but I will second his shape of water recommendation
1: <laughs> how dare you how dare both of you I know we're jokingly but there is this otherworldly thing about the underwater effect especially that scene where she floods her entire apartment.
0: Yeah, I really like that movie.
1: Oh, God, I was
2: totally misunderstanding you. I thought you were talking about Lady in the Water. Oh, Oh no,
0: no, 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 no. no, 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 no.
2: How? That's why I called you unhinged.
0: Oh, no, no, no. You looked it up just now and realized or what? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Ma'am. So now that you know the truth, what do you think? Shape of Water? Shape of Water, yes, I agree. Oh, okay okay. We did it. We talked about the Little Mermaid films. Woo! (laughs) (laughs) Caitlin, thanks so much for coming back to the show. Show.
2: Thank you for having me.
0: All right, listeners, stay tuned for final thoughts and mailbag. Welcome back, The Little Mermaid. We got the brand new film coming out later this month. That's what inspired us to do this trilogy, and it was nice to have Caitlin back. She is someone who as she talked about in the episode a very big fan of these films or I should say two of these films <laughs> and she's very much looking forward to the live action film and overall these are just one of these episodes where you just can do it real quick and not take it too seriously and enjoy it and it might open the door for us down the road doing more of these Disney trilogies or like these directed dvd direct-to-video you know sequels that they did for these animated classics. Classics. There's just so many of them out there. It's just something to think about in the future because these live action films, as far as we know, they're not going to stop. So, probably won't be the last time no, that we no, bring this up not. again.
1: A lot of these films are great by themselves. But going into our live action, I'm cautiously optimistic. I'm just a little nervous about the animated characters. Maybe it'll be better when it's in motion.
0: All right. So there's nothing to fact check. So that's good on us. And there's nothing to say about the mailbag. Just want to let you guys know that if you want to support the show, best way you can do that is to give us five stars on Apple Podcasts or rate us on wherever you listen to us. And also if you have time, leave us a review. It really helps with the algorithms. We really want to make sure that you as listeners are uh, helping us out in that way, even though just listening in general is also a big help. I was telling Romeo before the recording, we just had a pretty big month in the plays department. I don't know how it happened or where it came from, but I'm very grateful for it. And I'm hoping that trend can kind of continue now that this Uh. episode is being released. So if you ever want to reach us, you can always do it at bingeessentials at gmail.com. You can shares your thoughts or comments or suggestions whatever you want to do to reach out to the show we'll definitely give it a read and talk about it here in our final thoughts if you want to find us on social medias you can find us on Facebook at Binge Essentials and you can find us on Instagram at Binge Essentials you can find me on Instagram at David Rocha Binge you can find Romeo at rmora02 you can find me on Twitter at David Rocha Radio and you can find Romeo at rmora1 time to tease next month's episode next month's episode is the Snyderverse now What does that mean? Man of Steel. Batman v Superman Dawn of Justice and Justice League or no sorry Zack Snyder's Justice League (laughs) we'll talk
1: about both versions because I did watch both versions for this
0: we haven't recorded this yet so I actually have time to rewatch the original theatrical version this
1: probably will be our most spiciest of conversations
0: and just for a disclaimer this is something that Romeo has been pushing for years and I've been very upfront and pushed back on about it don't want to do it. I still don't want to do it. We haven't even recorded it. I still don't want to do it. I know. But.
1: And I, I feel like it's worth discussing because one, we timed it towards the release of The Flash, with in a sense, it is kind of a death nail to that whole um, era of we DC films. <laughs> um, and we'll talk about, we'll probably cover some of the Jason films and the whole approach that Gunn's Gonna Take versus Zack Snyder took. Yeah, yeah. It is, in my opinion, one of the most. Most controversial <laughs> plans. A movie studio has ever put forth.
0: And I'm not saying all of it is negative. Yeah. I'm just more on the side of like the things that were coming out. You're just like what the hell is going on over there? And yeah. then on top of that, the rabid fan base mm-hmm. of people who want to restore the Snyder Cut and just everything that came with that and willing it into existence. I mean, we'll talk about it all, all this. Yeah, well, yeah, all about it. This is more than just about movies. This is about the industry. This is about fandom. This is about storytelling there's really just a lot to this so
1: like i don't hate these films i'm just more disappointed and sad
0: so right now it's just going to be the two of us i don't think we'll be scheduling someone to come on with us that could change but Mm -hmm. i don't expect it so just expect the two of us for this one and yeah we'll see how this discussion goes so with all that being said i want to thank you guys for listening and we'll catch you guys next month